Good evening, everyone. Um, it's been a wonderful day. However, I hope you're not expecting what you saw this morning. Um, when the elders, when I volunteered to do this back uh, a few weeks ago, I never dreamed that they'd set me up and make me have to follow my son. Uh, you know, the parents are supposed to set the bar high for the children, but I think it's worked on reverse other way. So uh, he did an outstanding job this morning, and that just goes to show you what the talent there is in the young, the young men here and the young folks, and which is great because they are the future of the church, and those are the ones we're going to have to look forward to. I hope I can keep you intrigued just for a few moments tonight. Um, it's something that I did once before with a uh, young teenage class, and it was very interesting study. I hope I can present it to you in a way that will be hopefully understanding to you and will actually have some meaning to make you stop and think. That's the whole idea to make you think. We've heard it said our entire life about um, Christ's suffering. We've heard it mentioned in prayers. We've heard it mentioned in sermons. Brother Eddie mentioned this morning in the prayer before the Lord's Supper how Christ suffered and died on the cross. I want to take just a few moments, and I want us to look at the physical man. What happened to the physical man? What suffering did he actually do? We can always say, yes, he suffered. We know he was mocked. We know he was scourged. We know he was crucified. But what happens to the physical man? Have you ever really stopped and thought actually what went on? And that's what we'd like to take just a few minutes to do and, and look and see if we can understand the true, actual, physical pain that Christ underwent. Christ chose to come to this earth and become a physical man. He came knowing the terrible fate that he would, that he would have to face, knowing the things that lay ahead of him, but he still chose to come. He had a job to do on earth. He had a mission to fulfill, and he chose to do it as a physical person. He didn't do it with just some parts of the physical man. He took the entire man, which means he had to undergo all the emotional stress, the physical stress, the pain. He did everything that we would do. He's just as much of a man as we are today. However, the one difference that Christ had in us, he knew everything that lay in store for him. We can only imagine what would happen but he actually knew, and still he chose to do that. We know he was mocked. We know he was struck. We know he was scourged, and he was crucified. But let's look at each of those little aspects and see if we can get a true understanding of what happened to the physical man. His physical stress began in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke 22:44, it says, And being in agony... He prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now it's been proven medically, even though extremely rare, when an individual goes under great emotional stress, the small capillaries around the, blood, uh, around the sweat glands will actually break. The blood will mix with the sweat, and a person will actually perspire blood. So if you stop and think, if Christ, under such emotional stress, was sweating blood, imagine what his body looked like when he came out of the Garden of Gethsemane. He would have been completely 
drenched in blood. Think what that did to the apostles with him, what they thought. But to show the emotional stress that he had, he knew what was coming on. He felt the entire weight of the world. He had the entire world's sins on his shoulders, and he knew what he had to do. But when he came out of the garden, the people that he had surrounded himself with, the people that he felt closest to, that he needed their support more than anything else, they were asleep. And he asked, can you not even stay with me just one hour? He went back into the garden, and he prayed again. He was so emotionally stressed from what was going on, the agony, that he asked God, please take this cup from me. But he knew it couldn't, and he knew what he had to do. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So as he come out of the garden, he knew what lay next. His closest friends were forsaking him. He knew Peter was going to deny him. Judas was going to betray him, and he was going to be arrested and tried and convicted of something he didn't do. He only tried to come to do good to this world, but he knew what he had to go through. Right after he was arrested, this is when the physical trauma started occurring to his body. It says that he was mocked, he was beaten, and he was blindfolded. Now, in those days, they didn't have human rights. They didn't have rights of prisoners. Anything goes, everything went. So when it says when they struck Jesus, historians have said not just with Jesus, but any kind of person that had been arrested, many times they were struck by the soldiers and different people, and it wasn't just necessarily a slap on the face. It was hard, brutal beatings they would accept with their fists. And you can just imagine Christ already his body drenched in blood. He come out, he's now been arrested. He's now taken by these soldiers. And just think of the beating that they did. You can imagine when he finally started in these mock trials, his face swollen, his eyes swollen, his lips probably busted open from being hit, and all the physical abuse that he'd started. And yet at this point, he had still not even started to accept the pain and suffering that he was going to do. In the short time between when he instituted the Lord's Supper and at the end of the, finally of the Roman trial, Christ had, had suffered great emotional stress. He had been abandoned by his disciples. He had taken severe beating. And in all this time, he was made to walk from place to place to place. During these mock trials that they had during the night, it's, expect, it's estimated that he walked about two and a half miles. Now, remember Christ was, he's, a lot of pictures you see depict him being a weak individual. There's no way Christ meant He was a son of a carpenter. He was made to work. Plus, everything they did, they walked everywhere they went. Christ was an early riser. It's said many times in the Bible that he rose early in the morning and went, and went to pray. So we know he was up, he was going, and he was strong. So during the night, you know he was not allowed to have any kind of rest. He wasn't allowed to have any kind of sleep. By the time the trials are over with the next morning, he had been up 24 hours with no rest, no sleep, and had already suffered, starting to suffer physical abuse emotional stress that would be more than most individuals would overcome. But as the final trial occurred, Pilate ordered Jesus to be scourged. 
I want to take just a moment and let's look at scourging. What actually happens to a person when they've been scourged? We know they're beaten. Scourging was such a horrible torture that the Roman citizens, it was forbidden for them to be scourged. That's how terrible this was, that their own citizens were not allowed to do it. It was actually the worst form of punishment that the Roman citizens or the Roman government could put on a citizen without them actually taking their life. However, the punishment was so intense and so severe most of the time, many of the people actually died from the scourging. They never even made it to the next point of, of the trials and the prosecutions that they were going to accept. When an individual is scourged, they take their hands and they bound them. They would bind them to a pole, to a wall above their head. They would be stripped of all their clothing. Two large legionnaires would do the scourging, one on each side. Now the Romans, they had learned how to perfect pain. They knew how to do it to the most intense. So if you think of these big legionnaires, think of a pro football player. Big, strong, massive, and had tremendous amount of power. These were the type of people that were legionnaires. The scourging they used, the whip they had, had braided leather, six to eight foot long, attached to a wooden, a wooden handle about 18 inches long, which give them a lot of power in doing it. Inside these braided whips were metal balls. A lot of, think a lot of what it would be like a sinker that we use fishing today. These were braided into the, the, metal, the leather strips. At the end of the strip, they tied a piece of bone, usually a calf or a sheep bone. These were very sharp. What the legionnaires would do, as they beat the individual, as they come across, they, as they hit, the first thing, the first time they'd hit, it would bruise the bone. The metal, the metal balls would bruise this tissue. The bone would dig into the flesh and the stripes would start to tear the skin and cut it. Each time they did it, it would get worse and worse and worse. The legionnaires had learned if they could crack the whip just like we would do at the very end, the bones would actually, little pieces of bone would dig into the muscle and cut the muscle and turn the muscle inside out. It would literally take the inside muscle and turn it inside out. This caused excruciating pain. They say the pain that most people would pass out from. And they did it over and over and over. An individual would, in the scourging, they would be beaten from the, the top of their hands all the way to the bottom of their feet. Their chest, their, their shoulders, their back, their hips, their legs. And it's been, it's been estimated that when an individual finally had finished the scourging, their body looked like shredded meat. It looked like one continuous wound. Most people would have passed out. This is what most people die from. The blood loss would have been tremendous. The pain excruciating. One physician I read that had done some study had looked at historical accounts and said for every time the whip, the scourge was hit against an individual, it would take over a hundred stitches to repair the body. Jewish law says an individual could not be scourged more than 39 times. 
However, if a Roman soldier was inflicting the pain, there was no limit. The only limit was when the centurion in charge said, it's enough. They felt like one more blow would kill the individual and take the, take the death of that person. We don't know how many times Christ was struck, but we do know in Isaiah 52, 14, Isaiah said that his visage was so marred more than any other man that he did not resemble a human being. And just, just stop and think of, we've, you know, you've heard of people that have been in car wrecks, thrown through windshields and stuff. The torture and the things that was done to his body would not even have been to that extent. And at this point, when he was near death, is when the centurion said, it's enough, stop. But Christ then, it didn't stop with him. He was so hated by his nation, by the Jewish people and stuff, the mockery started. They started the mockery by forming a crown of thorns. Now, if you go back and read historically about the, the plants and stuff that were available in his time, there was a thorn bush that had thorns on it from an inch to an inch and a half long. They were extremely strong, and they compared them to an ice pick, that razor sharp. Now, we've seen pictures that it had a crown that would be just circular setting on his head. They said probably that's not true. It was probably something that covered the entire scalp, more like a cap, because they wanted to be able to inflict the most pain possible. As they placed this crown of thorns on his head and pressed down, it would have gone into the scalp, into the muscle around the face, the top of the head. And if any of you have ever had any cuts on your head, you know that if you get a cut on your head, it bleeds profusely. And pain is terrible because of all the nerve endings there. After they placed the crown on his head, they had put a reed in his hand. They took the reed and struck him across the head, which would have driven those thorns deeper and deeper into his scalp, causing the pain that would have been just absolutely relentless, trying to get it out. To continue the mockery, they put a robe on his back. Now, this robe was, was to be a mockery to him, but it actually did something else. It served as a bandage. It covered his back. It covered that shredded tissue that was in his back. It soaked up the blood and adhered to it and actually helped stop the bleeding. But the Romans knew what this would do. Before he would start his, his path to the cross of Calvary, they ripped the robe off his back. Now, we've all had a bandage on a, on a sore, and we know it's, sometimes it's stuck to it, and when you tear it off, it opens that wound up, and how painful that is. Now, just think your entire shoulders, your arms, your back, your hips, your legs, covered in this, and it's ripped off your back, and how much pain that's going to put you in. Even though at this point Christ had probably endured more pain than most human beings could possibly imagine, he still continued. He continued his path to the cross because he knew he had a job to do. He knew he had a job to fulfill. However, the worst was still yet to come. But Christ also had the ability that he could have stopped at any moment. He could have stopped the pain. He could have stopped the agony. 
and never had to endure it. But that wasn't his choice. His choice was to continue, to continue to do the things that his father had sent him to do. As he continues toward the, the path to the cross, he knew he had to go on. After being beaten and scourged, it was a long walk to the point of his death. Now, a lot of the pictures we've seen, it shows that Christ bearing a cross, the full cross, the big T-shape, we don't know that exactly what he carried. The historical accounts I've read about crucifixions during this time probably wasn't the full cross, just the cross beam, because it was something allowed him to carry. But the cross beam that he was put on, think of a cross tie under a railroad track about eight foot long, weighs about anywhere from 100 to 150 pounds, rough timbers with splinters, big gorges, anything they could do to, that would irritate you. They would strap this to his shoulders. Now they didn't nail his hands at this point. They would just strap them on and make the individual carry it. The condemned would have to carry it all the way to the cross. As we know, Christ didn't make it all the way. Someone had to carry it for him. But the path was about a third of a mile that he had to walk. At this point, he was exhausted. He'd been up 24 plus hours, no sleep, no rest. He'd been beaten. He'd been humiliated. He'd been mocked. He'd been scourged. The loss of blood that he would have had would have been tremendous probably being dehydrated this time, but yet he still continued on. As he come to the hill where he was going to be crucified, after suffering considerable blood loss, he would have been thrown down on this cross beam. Now, just as soon as he hit, those splinters would have dug into the skin that's already been torn up. His arms would have been stretched out. A legionnaire would have taken a iron spike, a square spike, five to seven inches long, and drove it through his hand. They had learned you don't drive it through the palm. The palm was really not where he'd been driven through because the palm would not support the weight of a man on a cross. As soon as a man did, it would tear out right between the fingers. In the time of the Roman Empire, the wrist was considered part of the hand. And the Romans had learned how to put the spike to inflict the most pain. It went right between the two bones of the, the wrist. It did not sever any of the major arteries because they did not want them to bleed to death. They wanted them to suffer as much and as long as possible. However, it would have severed the major nerves that went into the hand, which would have caused the hand to start to ring. Fiery pain would have been going through the hand up into the arm. As soon as they got one side done, they went to the other. They made careful and made certain they did not stretch the arms too far. They wanted some movement. They wanted to be able to move back and forth because movement caused the pain. After they got both arms nailed to the cross, Christ would have been lifted into the air. As he was lifted and set on the main support, they would have immediately taken his feet and done the same thing. 
But when they nailed the feet to the cross, they pulled the knees up. They wanted them in a bent position to actually give the appearance that the body is now hanging in the form of a Y. To have the bent position would help cause more pain later on. Once this is done, he's now been crucified. Christ has gone through severe pain, and he's now in what doctors have described one of the most excruciating pains that the body can even endure. As he hangs on the cross, from all the torture, they offer him a drink on a sponge of sour wine and myrrh. This is actually a and it's, it's a painkiller. It's a mild painkiller to reduce some of the pain. Christ refuses because under no circumstances does he want anything to limit what he's going to experience. He wants to experience the full pain that he was sent here to do. So as he hangs, as time goes on, his body is, is hanging, and as the fatigue begins to set in, his body begins to sag, putting more pressure, more pain on the nails in his arms and in his wrists. The pain runs down the arms and into his back, knotting everything up. The only way to relieve the pain, he has to lift with his feet. With the legs bent, he's got some movement. He pushes upward. Now the pain starts through the feet. It starts tearing the muscles and the tendons in the feet. But as he pushes up, his back, his legs are now grinding against the rough timbers, digging into the muscles again, just continuing the excruciating, extraordinary pain that he's having to deal with. But as time goes on, he's, as, he, as they hang on the cross, fatigue sets in. The next thing happens is the body starts to cramp. We've all had a muscle cramp. And we know how painful it is to you can get it to relax, relief. And most of the time, it only lasts just a few seconds with us, and we can get the relief. It doesn't happen when you're on the cross. You're hanging there. The muscles start to knot up. They don't, re they don't release. And it excruci the excruciating pain is now magnified. The only way this begins to release, as, as the body starts to sag, they have difficult time breathing. When the body goes down, they can breathe in, they can't exhale. They cannot exhale the air back out. The carbon dioxide builds up in the bloodstream, in the bloodstream and it begins to relieve the tension in the muscles, and it relaxes. To get that last breath, they have to push up on the feet, causing immense pain again and again and again. The only way to breathe is move up and down. Pull up with your arms, push up with your feet. No matter which way you move, no matter which way you turn, that pain is so extraordinary that most men would, would pass out at that point. However, Christ didn't. Christ remained conscious all the way through it. We know this, and we know he was coherent all the way through everything he did because of the things he said on the cross. 
And if you stop and think that the pain he had to go through to be able to get air into his lungs just to say a word, how precious those few words that he said on the cross were. Because every movement just to breathe, every movement to relieve pressure on his hands, his feet, would be agonizing into him. But as time goes on, and each time he gets a little weaker, as the body starts to sag more, the internal organs start to tear apart, particularly the heart and lungs. They begin to stretch and tear the tissue inside. I've never had a heart attack. I know a lot of people have, but if people have had them, they say the pain in your chest is absolutely unbearable. Take that on top of the pain in his back from the torn tissue, the pain from his hands, the pain from his feet. It just continues to mound and mound and mound. Throughout all this intense pain and the torture he served, he remained fully alert. He spoke to his father, Father, forgive them. He spoke to his mother. He spoke to John. He spoke to the thief hanging with him. We all know how Christ overcame death. He overcame death. He raised from the tomb on the third day. But Christ also overcame death in another way. While he was hanging on the cross, he chose when he would die. He didn't let man choose when he would die. The way a man would normally die on the cross is when they were tired of looking at him, they were tired of humiliating him, the soldiers would come through and break their legs. As those legs were broke, they no longer could lift up, they could no longer bring air into their system, and they would, they would suffocate, usually within 10 minutes or so. But in Christ, that wasn't the case. He wasn't going to let man tell him when he would die. He wasn't going to let the physical body tell him when he would die from the torture and the torment he'd gone through. He chose the time. And when the time was there, he said, it is finished. But when he said it is finished, it wasn't saying, I'm dying right now. He was telling the world, I have fulfilled what I come to do. The mission of atonement had been completed. I had fulfilled all the prophecy. And when he said, it's over, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. From now on, any time that we hear it mentioned, how Christ suffered and died on the cross, think about the physical man. Think what he went through. Think how the pain in his hands, the pain in his feet, the agonizing tearing of his body as he hung there, moving up and down on the rough timbers, as he hung on in the scourging, the ripping of his flesh, and everything that he endured. Christ endured the pain and suffering so we would not have to. He was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. If you've never taken Christ and put him first in your life, he died for you. He suffered for you so you wouldn't have to. If you've never become a 
a child of his through baptism, if you've never put on his name, or if you have and Christ is no longer first in your life, there's a way to take care of that. And it can be done tonight. Christ did the things he came to this earth to do just for each of us. It's our decision to do the things that he has asked of us. If any of you have any need tonight, won't you come while we stand and sing?